My name is John Butcher. Wendy is going around here. We both work at, in the Centre for Inclusion and Collaborative Partnerships at the Open University, and we're going to be talking about um, quite a large-scale study we've been doing, funded by the Higher Education Academy, and we're about to send our final report through to them, uh, exploring the experiences of part-time higher education students across the United Kingdom. So um, this has really been a, a, a study that the, uh, the context for this, as we've heard about this morning, is certainly one of contraction in the part-time sector, although that contraction has been different in each of the four nations making up the UK. And also, in a sense, and we'll see if we can draw some links together here, um, uh, uh, around um, divergence, really, of policy as impacting upon part-time students. And just to be absolutely clear, should we just say what we've given out, Wendy? Do you want to just... Yeah, so this is basically, um, following on um, from Claire's presentation earlier, really, yeah. just looking at the UK part-time um, sector, really, and showing the decline in the sort of undergraduate yeah. market. We have a small army of people at the OU who work in something called the Strategy Office, and they were kind enough to cull this. It's just a piece of data, really. But we thought, rather than throw it up on slides, you might just like to have it and take it away with you. There we are. So what our study has looked at is the experience of both uh, open university <coughs> students, who are, of course, part-time, although all of those study as distance learners. And our, our proportion of the part-time market is growing just as our student numbers are dropping. So there's a story there as well about the rest of the sector, really, I think. And uh, so um, this is a study that we did based on engaging with open university students and also, of course, far more, uh, engaging with non-OU students, including those um, uh, HE in FE part-time students as well. And the, uh, the, the survey data which we'll report upon and the interview data which we'll say something about in a second included students really operating, I suppose, at, at that kind of level three, level four borderline as access students. M the vast majority of the students we engaged with were on various stages during their undergraduate part-time journey. And we also spoke with and uh, had some survey uh, results from a number of postgraduate students as well. We also has, as we heard earlier, we had some ELQ students in there, so they're still out there. <coughs> I don't know quite how they're funding their studies, but they're still there. And, um, uh, and we'll say something about that in a second. And, and also, I think, just to sort of open up our, our thinking a little bit, we, uh, as we were doing this study, we've been reflecting that part-time is also a kind of proxy for a lot of other things as well. So we've heard a lot today about widening participation and the extent to which part-time HE students might form themselves largely uh, a, a widening participation group. Certainly our survey data suggests that part-time could be a proxy for mature or adult learners, kind of the, the lifelong learning market, um, if it's still there. So we have those kind of little question marks about are we talking about 21-year-olds and over, are we talking about 25-year-olds and older, or older still, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on that as we go through. So I'm going to do a quick quick 10 minutes just to contextualise this, and then we're just going to get you thinking a little bit as well. Okay, so in terms of contraction, what we've tried to illustrate here is the different, and 
And obviously there are, there are slightly different figures flying around, and I'm very grateful for all of Claire's work and her reports on this, that, which have sought to shed some light on this. But in the, in the figures we've been working with and with colleagues in the various nation parts of the Open University as well, we're looking at a significant, dramatic decline of the part-time sector in England since 2010, accelerating since 2012-13. Sorry, this is for all part-time students? This is for all, all part-time, Claire. Yes, now that's what I meant, really. The, the undergraduate figures are slightly different to this, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have uh, uh, the two, in a sense, the, uh, the, the Celtic nations, kind of Wales and Scotland, where uh, particularly the Welsh Assembly has a particularly strong rhetoric in support of part-time higher education. And yet, even within that context, there has been what I think they would consider is a significant and worrying decline. Uh, less so in Scotland, and the last figures I saw for Scotland, the decline in the last year was really mainly around their, I suppose what we might call their, um, their um, uh, HE and FE sector, so some fallback there. And numbers in Northern Ireland, very, very low for part-time. So we just have to have a sort of slight health warning on how we talk about that, really. So that's the kind of rough picture. It says since 2010 to 2013-14? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then in terms of the, the accelerated <coughs> decline, which we have heard something about, uh, a lot about uh, earlier today, but we just thought this was, a, this was a helpful way of thinking about this. We've already heard about the, the ELQ <coughs> issues. So those students who, who are seeking to study an equivalent or lower qualification who can no longer really access funding support for that. And as you can imagine, that has affected the Open University in a very particular way, as many of our students used to fall into that particular category. Secondly, in terms of, and, and I think this is really around the kind of um, austerity agenda, really, that the kind of students working in the public sector who used to be supported by their employers to study part-time, to upskill, etc., etc., are finding it more and more difficult to get that funding. And certainly the figures we had back from our survey data was that only about 15% of students who replied to the survey said they were, the, said they were receiving um, financial support from their employer. But it seemed particularly exacerbated in the public sector. I think the, um, the quadrant there related to the part-time sub-degree work, that is a huge decline. And that, I think, is very much about students who previously would have perhaps signed up more for the kind of a, a particular module or a small chunk of HE learning, if I can use that terminology, and are really being squeezed out now, um, as uh, particularly at the OU, students have been forced, really, effectively forced, to sign up for full degree qualification programs. So a policy impact there that's particularly severe. And I think a, a kind of depressing one really, particularly given the, the, you know, the excellent two papers we heard earlier about the, the decline in students taking foundation degrees as well. So if we cast our mind back, foundation degrees very much designed to address certain kind of employability agendas and bringing together the academic and the vocational, and even in those areas, uh, drops in numbers. So, what, please. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt, but do you think that drop down the FDs is around 
fewer applicants or students on the same number of courses, or is it also a drop in the uh, extent of the provision that's being made? Okay, it, the, the number relates to the, the entrance onto foundation degrees, but that of course might be influenced by okay. the, the reduction in programmes, I think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's a kind of slight set of withdrawal there, I think, isn't there? Okay, so why might this be? <laughs> okay, so, um, well, it's money, isn't it? It's, it's funding, it's, it's the tripling of fees, it's, the, it's the, uh, the, the economic climate we find ourselves in. So certainly, uh, in our interview data, students talk to us about their concerns about whether they could afford... Remember, these were all students who were already part-time students. The, we weren't talking to people who were thinking about being part-time students very difficult to get hold of those, but we were talking to students who were already studying part-time. Many, many, many of them talked about their concern about being able to afford part-time study, never mind the fact that they were also telling us that they'd love to study full-time, but they couldn't even consider that because of the, the loss of earnings, etc., etc., etc. So contextualised, I think, by austerity measures and particularly exacerbated by the introduction of higher fees. Okay, now I think for, for the, what became apparent through, through the study we've been working on is, is kind of the implications for this, and I think why, why should this matter? And I think there are, there, are, there are three reasons really, and I think probably everybody in this room understands this, but it's just worth really spelling this out. So I think first of all, while we have a, a decline, and it does look at the very least in England, a dramatic decline, in numbers studying part-time in higher education. That has a disproportionate effect on students coming from what we might call a widening participation background. So in other words, those adults who may well have missed out on uh, earlier opportunities in their lives, if they had them, to study higher education, or whom are seeking to really transform their lives in the ways that we heard out earlier are being particularly impacted by this, um, this behaviour at the moment. So that's an important issue. I think secondly is it's an important issue because it's so difficult to get policymakers and indeed many university vice-chancellors to talk about part-time higher education. All the noise out there in the sector has really been, as I'm sure many of you will recognise, about the need to get more 18-year-old studying in full-time higher education and therefore there's a kind of othering of uh, adult part-time students. And thirdly, I think, and, and uh, there, there obviously has been uh, work done on this before, but I think what was coming through in some of our interview data was just an incredibly valuable and authentic articulation of why students did study part-time and the kind of barriers they faced. And I think this really adds to our understanding both of why the part-time sector is in a, in a very difficult state, volatile state at the moment, but why this must be halted. It's very, very important to get those kind of authentic student voices in. So as I say, we've been doing a, a year's study now for the Higher Education Academy. This was premised upon the fact that we'd basically done a pilot study in Wales the year before, um, a project between the Open University and the National Union of Students, and we trialled a kind of uh, mixed methods approach, so we, we um, scoped the literature, 
we did a, a, an online survey to both open university students, relatively easy for us to access those, but also linking up with uh, various providers in Wales to encourage their part-time students to sign up as well. And this, this work has been published and we're folding this in effectively into our study in um, England, uh, Scotland and Northern Ireland. And essentially what we've done for this particular project is we did an online survey to 2,000 open university students, 22% response rate, um, non-OU part-time students, that would be students based in England, Scotland, and uh, a limited response, I have to say, from Northern Ireland, but with 1,134 responses. So a, a not insignificant um, uh, survey there. Followed that up, uh, students opted to, um, as it were, allow themselves to participate. We did 22 uh, structured, I think that's semi-structured, one-to-one interviews, and our, our consultant is in the room who did those. Thank you very much, Kate. And, uh, and we did a focus group with um, students studying uh, FE in HE as well. And that gave us a real insight into who part-time students were today. Okay. But before I tell you what we found out, we thought it would be quite interesting, because we have people um, from many different institutions here, and with many different, uh, you know, far more uh, well-informed than us about this. We have here, sorry, I'll go over here. Behind Wendy, we have an example of a part-time student. Okay, this is our part-time student. We have no expense spared uh, stickies, okay, and we would like you perhaps in groups of four or something like that, just to move your chairs, gather around one of these pictures, and to annotate our part-time student with what, Wendy? What do we want people so to do? What we, uh, over ten minutes, we've got ten minutes to ten do minutes. this, ten minutes, to think about what um, defines a part-time student, what characteristics or demographic would you associate with a part-time student? How would you spot one? Yeah. And then, no, no, this is lovely, lovely, loads, a few, doesn't matter, and then we'll share what we found out from our survey and our interviews as well and see how close, close so we are. So we're going to have ten minutes of thinking about the characteristics of a part-time student which you place your figure sort of within the figure, Ooh. and then we're going to have ten minutes of thinking wider <laughs> as to what barriers that these students might face, and there'll be some... Yeah. This wasn't just thrown together, you can see that. So we've got, could we have about roughly, you know, four or five people here, four or five people there, four or five people up the back, four or five over there, four or five there. Thanks for the coffee. Ten minutes. Thank you. That was lovely, delightful that you all played with us there. Thank you for joining in. Thank you very much. Next slide. Okay, now then, while you're, you know, while you're in the mood, okay, so rather than break this up, we'd like you now to do just one other activity. This is it after that. Okay, so just one more if you would, please. Again, 10 minutes on orange this time, okay, and we would like these to go round. Yeah, okay, now then, um, what, I, what I'm going to do, again, we won't do the big plenary, but I will ask you each for perhaps one highlight, your best one, your most obtuse one, whatever. And then all I'll do is I'll throw up a couple of slides of our findings, and we'll just see the extent to which they align and how you might thought very different things, which we would find incredibly helpful, actually. So this is the way we do it. So just a few, a few kind of headlines from us, really. I think a lot of these came out. You're going to come up with the same things, of course. But I just wonder if, if we just throw, throw those up, first of all, I think 
a quite interesting thing going on around being the first in your family to enter higher education. So that seems to me, a, you know, just an interesting thing to think about in terms of providers of part-time HE. High proportion of students declaring a, a, a caring responsibility, which obviously touches upon time available and other calls upon your time and things like that. We, we were, I have to say, we were surprised by the proportion of students who declared a, either a disability or a long-term health impairment as a reason for them studying part-time. In other words, full-time didn't offer them the kind of flexibility or the accessibility or whatever that they, that, that, that they needed, really, even though often quite well-qualified students. So there's, some, there's an interesting kind of tension on there. The, um, the, the kind of thing about, obviously, the choices about whether we can afford to study part-time or not came through quite strongly. And I was just mentioning to a group around here, um, from Wales and Scotland, we, we found some really interesting comments about um, there being kind of cold spots, really, of coverage. So there just wasn't the availability of part-time higher education that, uh, that, that, that students wanted, really. So was there anything that we've not got up there that you thought is tearingly important? Because it would be lovely to know. Anything you generated? A lot of these will overlap, I know, but anything glaring? Please. Anything about student identity, where yeah. you actually fit within the campus. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, and that, that certainly came through. I mean, we asked a very simple question to the, to the effect of, um, you know, would you consider yourself a student or think about your identity and to what extent? And, and the majority of our students didn't, actually. No. They, they were competing identities, as you, as, as you can expect. But also that came through in a kind of absence of a, a part-time student culture as well. So not only was there an issue about one's own identity as a learner, but also the extent to which you had any engagement at all with your other part-time learners. And I think institutions could get a lot better at engineering that, really. Please. Does that affect their approaches to study? They are more focused, more instrumental, well, more strategic? Yeah, that's a very good point. Or more isolated, more alienated, more disengaged. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the next bit of research, I think, that, but that's a good research question, I think, the extent to which that well, works for them. Well, that students who did exactly that. Yeah. Basically, the mature students congregated Yes. And they had complaints, but they weren't listened to. So they managed, the quote was, we managed our yeah. satisfaction collectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We gave ourselves mutual support. Yeah. Uh, found ways and advised one another. So they called themselves Yeah, 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 yeah. But of course, what came through for us is that some, some of our more mature part-time students who had, you know, significant professional <coughs> roles and were studying at the same time were, were recognising really that, hey, institution, we're customers. We've got, we've got, you know, we've got some professional skills here that you're not acknowledging. Make sure, you know, the resources are there for us that you're advertising for your full-time students. So there's a message there, I think, for institutions as well. Thank you. Anything else about characteristics before I move on? Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. And and then in in, in terms of some of the some of the themes that came up really, and this this to some extent is a kind of uh, an overarching look at some of the barriers you were talking about, really. But the, uh, the thing that came through in our, in our Welsh pilot study was around um, choice, flexibility, and employability. Okay, choice, lots of policymakers talk about choice, don't they, as being important in higher education. Our students said, frankly, if we could, we'd study full-time, most of them. 
You know, there was a recognition that that was a, a preferred mode of study, really. So the kind of talking about choosing to study part-time is a bit of a Hobson's choice, really. There isn't really a kind of alternative for many of those students. So that's something I think we're thinking about. The flexibility comes, obviously, in relation to the individual need for flexibility. If things happen with your kids or if you're caring responsibilities or whatever, maybe the institution could be a bit more flexible some of its deadlines and some of its systems which are often designed for full-time students and so there's a kind of issue there and I think the extent to which as well um, institutions perhaps are infilling into full existing full-time provision the odd part-time student and therefore the whole setup is geared towards your full-time students and not those part-time students who perhaps might need a little bit more flexibility. We've touched upon the information advice and guidance I think the part-time culture is something that institutions really need to think about. Student motivation in terms of characteristics of a part-time student I think is an interesting one. A lot of the literature clearly talks about the employability agenda and that came through very strongly in our research as well. But only, only shading out students studying part-time for enjoyment, they're still there, okay, and particularly some of the older students, for intellectual challenge. Okay, and we, we certainly did get, going back to Claire and colleagues' research earlier, the, the idea of, of parents wanting to be role models for their children. That certainly came through. There's the other phenomena, which I hadn't quite come across in the literature, of students saying, I've wanted to do this all my life. My kids have finally gone to full-time higher education, so I'm going to do it now. This is my time, which I thought was really fascinating. Okay. But many of those variables about age as much as part-time. I agree. I, I, yeah, I agree. Then in a sense, they can only do it part-time. Because young part-timers are very rare. On indeed, mm. indeed. Please. I was just going to say a similar thing in relation to age and the culture that, like the students' union, for instance, is irrelevant in the context of mature yeah. students. Yeah, and, and often some of the support yeah. structures are irrelevant yeah. as well because yeah. it's kind of STD advice and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's right. kind of not not quite what was needed, what really. Yeah. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, the, just the just well, the not some schools is. Well, indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> but we are running those down to do our bit for the sexually transmitted diseases in Britain. Right. Um, the disciplinary differences, I, I just throw up because that, that came through again in a way which I hadn't really seen coming through much in the literature before. And it's these are fairly obvious proxies, you know, lo lots of our male students were doing IT, engineering type, upskilling type provision. Um, Many of our women were doing more of the kind of social science and caring type provision. But the, the one I'll just throw in because it offered a counter-narrative to all the stuff we know about part-time study, I think, is we, we, we found some students uh, studying art. Okay. And these were, these were older students, and they were, this was not about employability for them. They were studying art because their parents hadn't let them do it when they were younger, or... They, uh, they never imagined they'd be able to make a living out of doing this, you know, so th there was this kind, of, um, th this kind of narrative. This was something they'd put off and put off and wanted to do. And what they were doing, even though they were studying part-time, they were absolutely immersing themselves in this education. And what they absolutely didn't want to be called was leisure learners. So these are really serious art students who happen to be older. 
And I just thought that was an interesting one that I, I hadn't quite seen before, really. Anyway, there we go. Any, anything else there? No? Are we okay? Let's see what we've got. We've made some recommendations, so these are kind of culled from the report. It's not rocket science, but I think it does speak to that, that very good, I think, quote from Universities UK a couple of years ago, the part-time market risks operating in neither the interests of students, employers, nor the economy, which kind of captures a lot of what we've been talking about this morning, really. I think that's very good. And so I think certainly it came through in, in your group's comments about how do we incentivise universities to, to sustain and indeed develop more um, part-time higher education as an attractive choice. Certainly the stuff around much better information, advice and guidance to help students, I think, make the right choice about level and progression and things like that. Um, the employability thing for us, if I can just throw in one more, um, there was a rather different discourse around employability than you often hear, and it was because students, were, it was a much more um, personalised, very clear thinking about people's circumstances and how that might inform their employability choices. So, for example, some of our Welsh interviewees um, talked about uh, their own uh, disabilities or long-term health problems, recognised the barriers that would um, offer to a kind of, um, you know, kind of graduate career trajectory, so therefore wanted HE to give them the independent study skills to become self-employed. And again, I thought that was kind of interesting one, a little, little twist, I think, on what we often say about employability. And coming through time and time again, it's just complex to find your way through the levels of, of funding and so there we are. So I acknowledge OU, NUS Wales, Higher Education Academy, Kate, CICP, IET, Strategy Office. If you're interested in the Welsh stuff, there's a couple of articles coming uh, out. And the, as I say, the HEA report will be out as soon as I've finished it and sent it to them. Thank you very much, everybody.